Hello and welcome to another episode of SoccerCast Chicago. I'm your host, Alex Campbell, and MLS is back again. The first phase of the remainder of the season is underway, and that, of course, includes the Chicago Fire. And joining me to talk all things CFFC is Brian Sandalo from the Chicago Sun-Times. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, and congratulations on the podcast. It's, uh, it's a really good, ambitious venture, and I'm glad that you're adding your voice uh, to the sports podcast, to the soccer podcast <laughs> scene. It's uh, really good. I'm glad to, to hear the, the podcast. Thanks. Really, really appreciate that. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm gradually collecting the entire set of Chicago Fire, well, just Chicago soccer journalists in general. So glad to finally have you on the show. Um, we will get to Thursday's loss against the Columbus crew. But the big news of the day is that last night the fire announced a member of the first team squad has tested positive for COVID-19. So, Brian, right now, if could you walk us through what we do know and what we don't know about this entire situation? All we know is what was in the uh, press release uh, last night uh, that I received and uh, wrote up that a player from the first team, uh, the fire of learned, is tested positive, asymptomatic, was not on the traveling squad, was not in the traveling party for Thursday's game, Uh the fire have had no other positive tests before or since, uh, according to the release. And uh, Tuesday's game is still on. So that, that's pretty much what we have. Um, the player, of course, was not named. And uh, unless the player, uh, whose name I do not know, unless the player decides to come out publicly, uh, we're not going to know. And uh, that's fine. But, uh, yeah, pretty uh, scary situation because... From what I've heard, from everything I've been told, the fire have done a lot of things right with, um, in terms of uh, dealing with COVID nineteen. But it just shows that, you know, things happen, and it's a scary, very difficult uh, virus to handle. Right, and this is the sort of thing that was going to be a risk with everybody coming back to play in home markets. MLS, to its credit, was very proud of themselves for the fact that after Dallas and Nashville left the bubble in Orlando there were no more positive tests after that point the bubble proved that it worked but circumstances like this are going to come up like we, like you said we don't know who the player is plenty of people have speculated online looking at squads from Orlando versus this game um, you know we you know as you said we have no information on who the player is and it's really not important other than that whoever they are they recover well and back to full health quickly you mentioned that Tuesday's Home opener, which it's crazy to think that the Fire are still awaiting their home opener for 2020 against FC Cincinnati, still on the schedule. So what are you watching for, though, in terms of between now and then? Do you think we're going to hear anything more about this, or is this going to be a no-news-is-good-news situation? I think in terms of testing, no-news-is-good-news, and in terms of, of course, uh, whether the game stays on, if the Fire say anything about the game, um, obviously that wouldn't be a great sign, but I was told, I was, I've you know, in the press release, uh, they've said made it very clear the game is still scheduled, um, but we'll see. Uh, it's of course like like everything else; it's a fluid situation, um, and uh, yeah, it, we'll see. That, that's the thing. I, that's the thing about it. It's, there's nothing concrete. Uh, I don't. You don't really want to speculate what happens if other players test positive. What happens? What does FC Cincinnati think about this? Um, it's a fluid situation, but for the time being, the game's on. Um, and if there's one player who got it and was asymptomatic and it was contained to that, I guess MLS uh, feels that the, they can play the game. But uh, 
yeah, just a very fluid situation. I'm sure I will tell you that I'll be staying close to my phone and email at all times between now and Tuesday. Oh yeah, absolutely. Any emails that come in with that uh, Chicago Fire Media Communications uh, <laughs> subject line is going to be an instant open over the next few days. Uh, the one other piece of news before we get to soccer is that the Fire have signed 19-year-old Colombian center back Carlos Tehran. Sounds like he's more of a prospect, but, you know, the Fire don't exactly have a lot of center back or right back cover, the two positions he supposedly plays. So I feel like we're going to probably end up seeing this guy at least make the bench once he gets a visa, which is, of course, the bigger issue right now. Right. I mean, getting a visa is not uh, easy. It hasn't been for a while, actually. That's been, that was an issue, of course, for players before, uh, I guess, before this season started. But, uh, look, if they're depending on a 19-year-old kid to be uh, in any sort of major role this year, they're in trouble on the uh, on the back line. So, yeah, I think they'll probably see the bench. You might even see him get some minutes here and there because of the, the schedule, the fixture congestion, I guess. But uh, if he's dependent on for any major role, that's a problem for the fire. But, uh, yeah, just another one for the future, another good prospect, another young player who we know that uh, Raphael Wicke has, wor- uh, Wick has worked with a lot of young players in the past. So maybe this is another one for the new, for the technical staff to develop. But uh, if you're seeing him make having to play a lot of minutes this season, that's not a good sign for the fire. Yeah, as because right now we still have Johan Kapelhoff working his way back to full fitness. Um, he, you know, and with him healthy, the fire would have four, arguably five, first-team center backs available if you include Nick Slanina in that right. group. So, yeah, again, I think it's safe to say Tehran probably isn't going to be largely involved in this season. Again, he's still got to get a visa, and once he arrives in Chicago, we'll see what his role is from there. Um, as for the soccer, not a whole lot of good news to talk about, but we're going to talk about it anyway. 3-0 loss to the Columbus Crew on Thursday night. Goals from Derek Etienne, Darlington Nagby, and Jossie Zardes for Columbus. Uh, Brian, especially in the first half, I felt like there were stretches where the fire felt like the better team. So before we dig into the details, what was your overall takeaway from this performance? That basically, if you're not clinical, if you're not locked on for 90 minutes against a good team like Columbus, then you're going to get beat. And the Fire keep learning that. Uh, they learned that uh, in Orlando against San Jose, who was a better team. Uh, and then Vancouver, they came out of the weather delay asleep, and they lost the game that they needed. Um, now this game, same thing. And it's three games now. I know it's you can almost say MLS is back, and now this or almost two different seasons in some way but it's a pattern that sort of keeps happening that they fall that they fall asleep at times and they don't really finish chance they haven't finished chances all that efficiently and frankly saying this it sort of sounds like i'm talking about last season mm-hmm. i didn't think i would i would be echoing that this year but here we are uh so it makes um tuesday's game actually somewhat important beyond all the implications of it. I'm sure we'll get to everything that that game means with on and off the field. But um, it's an important uh, game for the Fire because they have to show that they can play a complete 90 minutes. And it's something that, uh, other than maybe the Seattle the, the Seattle game in Orlando, you can't say they've done all year. So it's something that needs to be corrected. Right, and you know, we don't know how much opportunity they're going to get to correct that MLS going into this first phase where everyone's going to play six games the long-term view is kind of hard to know but again this is a team that played two games after getting a new group together took a couple months off played three more games just took another month off 
came out against Columbus. So I think, you know, there is this kind of weighing of expectation of, you know, what we expected from this roster on paper versus the circumstances they've been dealt. Uh, we did see a few different things in this game that I want to touch on. The, sure. fir the first one being we saw Ignacio Aliceta playing as somewhere between a number 10 and a second striker. That certainly got him on the ball more, and I think that was generally a positive thing. But a, um, you know, a counterpoint of that was it pushed Alvaro Madron deeper, and he seemed largely ineffective in a more defensive role. So what was kind of your take on the roles those players were asked to play in this game and how they kind of impacted where each other were trying, I guess the spaces each other were trying to occupy in the pitch? Well, to me, honestly, my takeaway from the the formation that uh, was played on Thursday night was I was surprised that, that Georgie was more of a wide player. Mm -hmm. I like him more, frankly, I like him more as a 10, and I like uh, Aliceta more on the, on the wings, gives him more room to operate with his speed. So I was surprised by that, among other things. But, um, you know, the fire did have chances. They they had chances. I, I like Aliceta more than I, I saw more from him against Columbus. But they just... They just didn't convert. There was some problem with the link-up, and the finishing when they had the chance wasn't there. Of course, the game is very different if Frankowski finishes that chance in the right. first half. That's the point, that you know you can get guys in position, but if you can't finish or at least challenge the keeper, then you're in trouble. But you know, I've, to mention Madron, I've liked him a lot uh, in the midfield. I liked him actually more than I think you did Thursday night, actually. Mm -hmm. I felt like he was active that he's, he's played a, a good box-to-box -box role, but and I've been surprised at how well he's fit in considering who he you know, that he was bought for another system. But uh, my, I, was, uh, I was intrigued by the system. I was interested to see that Mihailovic was uh, playing on the wing as opposed to more in the middle. But, um, you know, after the game, um, Rafa Wicke seemed like he liked the, the, the uh, game more than the result, obviously. The 3 mm -hmm. nothing didn't really justify the game but uh you know you gotta start getting results sometime here soon yeah and i'd agree with you that al i mean kind of i get the feeling that i'd also prefer to see aliceta on the wing it feels like his best attribute is you give him the ball and he's gonna run it guys and i feel like pulling him wide is gonna be the best way to do that rather than someone like say elliot collier for example who the fire seem to keep trying to do that with as a mm -hmm. sub Mihailovic, you know, I agree. I much rather would see him as a number eight or a number ten. His role Thursday night seemed to be pretty clearly as his job is to help press, and I mean, Georgie's good at that. And you know, I don't, I don't want to discount that part of his game, but it doesn't allow. I didn't allow him. I felt like to really use his passing. He pulled one phenomenal pass. I forget if it was to Aliceta or Frankowski to set up a chance. So he still has the ability to do that. But yeah, I think. I think Wiki is still trying to figure out how everyone's skills are going to best mold together. You mentioned Frankowski missing that early chance, which certainly felt like a turning point in the game. And I think the the pressing idea worked really well. My only yeah. complaint with it was that Frankowski, Barrich, and Aliceta, and sometimes Mihailovic would push really high. They'd mm -hmm. force a turnover, and then there wouldn't be any help. You'd end up with, you know, Frankowski or Aliceta's pace, you know, forcing a Columbus defender into trouble, but then next thing you know, they're still down two or three on five or six, and it felt like Madron and Jimenez were dropping early. Sekulich 
stayed pretty far back on that right side behind Frankowski, so there wasn't a lot of support there. There was no link. There was no link up. No, yeah, there were these. There were these individual facets that's like, okay, that makes sense. That worked well, but yeah, to your point, it just never really seemed. We never got two plus two equals four. We had those separate pieces, and they just didn't seem to fit together into anything cohesive. Right, no, and that's the thing that uh, against a team like Columbus, you gotta. I mean, they're what five zero and one right mm-hmm. now. Number one uh, team in the Eastern Conference right now. Number one team in the East. That's the team that you've got to. When you have chances, you got to hit them, and then you've got to be. You've got to be able to link up because, you know, I don't know if the Fire right now have any individual standouts. No one who's going to be capable of scoring a goal like Matt, like Darlington Nagby did, uh, of course, which yeah. is goal of the year. Nothing you can do about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no keeper in the world stops that. No, no, no back line stops that. But uh, you've got to be clinical, and I think having link up helps. And that was something I noticed that it was sort of, I don't want to say a donut the way that the fire were on Thursday night. But I'd like to see more link up uh, on the field than I saw Thursday. But uh, you know, it's still early, but it's not that early anymore. One win in six games, uh, time to start seeing some results. Yeah, and another area where that link-up showed wasn't just offensively. I mentioned that it felt like sometimes Jimenez and Madron were slow to get forward. They were also at times a little slow to get back. We saw this on right. the Etienne goal where no one marks Etienne's run from as he cuts inside from the left, underlapping from Valenzuela, who who plays the assist. Um, you know, this is a back four in this game that's probably not tactically the ideal construction. You've got a center-back pairing of Pineda and Calvo who are both guys who are good ball-playing players. They're both guys who are going to step into the midfield and help pressure as an opposing team builds up. But neither one of them is really your dig-their-heels-in, stereotypical, big, strong guy who's just going to throw their body around center back. You've got Sekulich, who's somewhere between a center back and a right back, getting sucked in, which was partially a necessity because on his opposite flank, Navarro really likes to push forward. So I agree, though. At multiple areas of the pitch, it just seemed like the amount of space between lines was either overly compressed and there was nowhere to go or so far stretched in a team like Columbus with that many field. Yeah, they're just going to pass their way right through you. And you mentioned the goals. I think the Etienne goal is really the only one where I can offer much of a critique. Again, the back line all drops off in unison, which probably didn't need to happen. The midfield doesn't track. But you mentioned the, the Nagby goal is world-class. <laughs> Nothing you can do. And then yeah. the Zardas goal at the end, the fire were just kind of turned off at that point. I mean, um, I forget who it is. I think it's Nagby who carries the ball yeah. through midfield. Madron hardly lays a hand on him. The entire back four is stagnant as Zardas looks like he should for sure be offside based on where he finishes that ball. But then you watch the replay and it's just he an instance. No, it's an instance of the back four all being flat-footed. So yeah. I don't know how much that goal really matters. Rafael Wicke, like, kind of like you alluded to earlier, said as much that he didn't feel like 3-0 reflected the real score of this game. I mean, is, is that a fair thing to say, given that the, ch- the chances weren't like that? Or is it fair because Columbus, as you said, you know, they showed how dangerous they are if you don't take your chances? Columbus was clinical and the fire weren't. And, you know, I get what Rafa, what Coach Wiki was saying about that. But, you know what, the results are the results. And... Yes, this season's weird. The Fire have had stops and starts, but in the end, it's all about results. You got to win some games, and I mean, yeah, if you take away the goals, sure, maybe three nothing wasn't the right result. But Columbus finished its chances. The Fire didn't, 
so yeah, I, I have, I've never been a believer in, oh man, that the score didn't reflect the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, the score was the game. Right. The, the, the name of the game is finishing your chances. Columbus did that. The Fire did. So there you go. And, and, you know, one more note before we move on to the game against FC Cincinnati. This is something with Chemistov Frankowski that we've talked about before, that he is an excellent player in his position in the first two-thirds of the pitch. He's excellent at helping you pass out of pressure defensively. He's great at transition play, and he is crazy fast to get the ball into the final third. And, and you know, again, again, you know, limited sample size this season, but this game was another another example of him not quite being able to put it together in the final third, and you know having guys like Barrage and Alisaida can only help so much if if that delivery is not there. So I think right. that's probably going to be a really frustrating thing for Fire fans to see that you know Frankowski, who is this facet away from being maybe a league class player, and you know the type of guy who could challenge for an MLS best 11 with all his skills physically that that final ball still just continues to not be there that's something to watch going forward so you alluded earlier that we're that we were likely going to talk a lot about this game upcoming and want to get to that so Tuesday night Soldier Field home opener for the fire FC Cincinnati against Chicago um since the last night drew nil nil against DC United and they continue to be a team that has shown themselves to be very solid defensively after being a sieve last year. Yop Stam has come in, and despite not much time with the team, seems to have them organized defensively. But despite some fairly flashy attacking signings, they're still pretty anemic in the attack. Both of these teams, got, though, got to see this game as one they got to go all out for, right? Right, yeah, absolutely. The Fire need, assuming this game is played, and we'll get to that, uh, they need three points. I mean, remember last year uh, when they lost it to Cincinnati? That was sort of a, that was sort of the moment when you realized, now this, this team doesn't have it. And uh, this year's FC Cincinnati under Yopstown, of course, uh, the treble winner, um, a uh, former player for Manchester United, so uh, that's something that's cool to, for me to watch, um, to see. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they have an identity. That's the thing that you, you allude to. They have an identity, and the Fire are going to have to try to break them down. Um, I would assume that FC Cincinnati will come in trying to at least steal a result in some way, so the Fire are going to have to break them down. Now, the other point about this game, obviously, is how does the, how does the, the Fire camp, so to speak, react to the news from last night? Um, because that's a, that's a thunderbolt. Um, I know that if I were to come down positive or if my wife or one of some of my family that's a thunderbolt and that's something that you have to deal with and i know that that might sound like a callous thing and it is a little bit but how do you deal with the emotional side of wow somebody on our side has this has COVID. so I, that's just another factor for this game that otherwise is still a pretty important game for the fire to get and we can even look backwards with that, because presumably the guys had to know, right? I mean, the team mentioned that this player was not allowed to go to Columbus. And so in this time, you know, every, I think everyone's smart enough to look around, and whether there was an explicit statement to the squad or not, I'm sure these guys put it together, or maybe outright knew that they had a positive test going into that Columbus game, which raises a whole bunch of other questions of, did the Columbus crew know? that the fire had had a player quarantined, um, you know, was MLS made aware, you know, you mentioned that the fire haven't had any other positive tests, which 
is obviously good news right now, but the St. Louis Cardinals can tell you that that doesn't necessarily mean anything yet with, you know, this disease being able to incubate up to reportedly two weeks before someone presents either A, with symptoms, or B, with even being able to test positive for it. So I think that's absolutely a point that that should be considered is that, you know, things are crazy enough with the fire, you know, right now trying to get everything together on the field and work that out. But if you combine, you know, CJ Sapong was away from the team due to an excused absence and had to quarantine upon his return. Now you've got another player who is in quarantine because they've tested positive for COVID. And I mean, if if one or two more players were, for instance, to test positive, again, we've seen in baseball how quickly these things can kind of build up and unravel and the stresses they can cause on a team. So I, I think that's certainly something to not discount going into Tuesday night. Right, yeah. Now, I mean, let, let's just be honest here. The big story about for Tuesday night is COVID. Right. COVID is the ruler of everything. Because when you think about it, this game is being being played now because of the fire of their home opener, I mean, because right. of COVID. There's no fans there because of COVID. And now there's a player who has tested positive of COVID. So that's the story um, Tuesday night. Um, and everything that's going to happen for the fire on Tuesday night and and subsequently afterward is also going to have COVID as a huge part of it. Uh, hopefully they've got it uh, contained, that everything is going to be okay otherwise. But uh, they have to find a way somehow to put it out of their mind and get three points because, let's say, you come out of this game with a draw even, that's still not good enough. That's one, four, and two through seven games. And if you come out of there with a loss, one, five, and one, I don't need to, you don't need to have me do the math. That's, um, th- that's, that's a deep hole to get out of, even with the expanded playoffs this year. And it, it harkens back to that week last season where the Fire, despite their struggles, were still holding on to that ninth spot in the Eastern Conference because the teams below them just could not score a goal to save their right. lives. And there was that week where they played Columbus and Cincinnati inside of like four days. And it was got one point out of it. And got one point out of it. And that ended up being the difference, despite all the other things that happened down the stretch of that season. If they had gotten four points from those two games, they make the MLS Cup playoffs, which is still crazy right. to think about how that team the team went last year. So th- this this week has this similar feel. It's like, you know, okay, Columbus is a very good team. But Cincinnati, despite the fact that, you know, they might have a structure now and might have actually have somewhat of a spine, they're still a team you're going to look at as we have to get at least a result, if not a win against these guys. That all said, though, I mean, I think kind of like the point I want to conclude talking about, Brian, is given the circumstances of this season, the stuff we already knew, the humongous turnover on the fire roster, new coach, new sporting director, basically a mostly new roster. Then you add to that COVID, all the stresses and concerns about that, multiple multi-month breaks in between games. In your mind, you know, you mentioned trying to make the playoffs with the expanded structure. For this season, and especially for the fire, given their, you know, tactical and just squad circumstances, how much do you think this year actually matters for this club in terms of where they finish? great question you want to see progress and you want to see them start to build an identity and start to build a a, a core and a spine but part of that is still results because somebody assuming the season goes on somebody's going to win mls cup somebody's going to make the playoffs 
So why can't it be the fire? I don't think they're an MLS Cup contender, but they should be in the thick of the playoff race. You want to see progress. You want to see things start to materialize. And frankly, you know what? Let's say they do play the entire season. 23 regular season games is what that would be. That's a, that's not nothing. That's enough time to start judging things. It's not like this this baseball season, and I use season in quotes, um, <laughs> 60 games. That's not the same. That's not 60 games is what? 2.7 times is 162, right? 23 out of 34. No, it's not perfect, It's but it's something. It's a test. Uh, you want to see some sense of progress. Now, of course, for me, and I think I told you this once um you know, I, and I've said this to other people that the fire are as much a business story now as a soccer story. So the business side stuff, you know, I, I, there's, it's hard to kind of gauge their progress on it because there's not going to be fans in the building for a while, I don't think. But on the field, you do want to see some progress. You want to see, as I said, you want to see some of the young players take a leap, and you want to see some sort of fire vision. Some sort of, you want to be able to identify, oh, that's how the fire play. That's what I'm looking for at the, by the end of this season. And that is one of the advantages. Obviously, you know, financial losses are a reality in this time. But, you know, having a new having new ownership, having Joe Mansueto as the owner does give the fire some flexibility right now that they frankly would not have had if Andrew Hauptman still owned this team. Like, just the, the finances of the situation are such that, you know, that Joe Mansueto is going to be able to weather this storm and that the fire are going to be able to weather this storm financially. And they've invested a lot on the back end, and you, I, and plenty of other people have praised those investments. But I think I agree. Right. It's, at some point, you know, that's all great, and we can agree that's all great. The, you know, you want to start seeing the on-field product go somewhere. And, you know, it's going to probably take a couple years to really achieve the vision that Wiki and Heights have. Right. But again, you know... To get to, you know, you still got to get from point A to point B. And so it would certainly be nice to see that journey be, you know, be discernible this year. To see that at the end of 2020, some progress toward an eventual goal uh, has been made. Uh, Brian, before I let you go, though, I think I'd be remiss right now if we didn't, you know, step out of soccer for one moment as people who are, you know, just engrossed in the Chicago sports scene that I. I couldn't ignore that last night, Jason Benetti on the Chicago White Sox broadcast against the Cubs mentioned that in terms of winning percentages, this is the best matchup of Chicago baseball teams in history, which, you know, given that fans of both teams, no matter how long we've been following them, have suffered through plenty, is both believable and completely insane to think for two teams that have both existed for over 100 years. And it says, you know... It says something that, you know, as tough as things might be at any particular time in Chicago sports, they have certainly been worse at other times, but also that, you know, hey, we got to appreciate the good stuff when it happens. Right. I mean, uh, what's going on with the United Center's winter tenants right now, uh, I could give you an hour right now on the Blackhawks and Bulls, but we're, uh, we're, <laughs> hey, we're not picking on... seventh this year, so moving on yeah, up. Yeah, not. <laughs> Mazel tov. But, uh, you, you know, the, the baseball scene is interesting, and to kind of, you know, tie back to the fire, and um, the Cubs had the 2014 season when you realized by the end of the year, oh boy, it's coming, it's coming. Right. It's just a question of when. The Sox, I think we might look back at last year. Remember, they had the same record. I think they both won 73 games. The last year's White Sox, the same thing. Oh, this this, this could be happening soon. 
I want to see, you know, this is sort of what I wanted to see from the fire this year. Oh, is there a season? I think, okay, it's coming soon. And mm-hmm. now with the Cubs and Sox, you're seeing the after of that. You're seeing the Sox. You, maybe this is their 2015 Cubs season. Uh, I don't know where the Cubs are right now, frankly, on their curve, because if they decide to spend and re-sign their players, they can keep this window open further. But it's an exciting thing to see the Cubs and Sox go at it. I mean, what was the last time they were in the playoffs the same year, the only time other than 1906, was 2008. And I was surprised that the, that the uh, winning percentages were better now than in 2008, because I still contend that the 2008 Cubs are the second-best Cubs team of my lifetime. But uh, that's the fight that I'll I'll never win with people. But uh, you know it's exciting. It, it's exciting to see both baseball teams. Uh, I've uh, been privileged. I'm one of the few privileged people to cover and see major league ba- regular season major league baseball this year. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's uh, fun to see uh, the Cubs and Sox. And I'll tell you what, if I was a baseball, I would not want to be hit by Luis Robert. Uh, I'll say that. No, that um, I forget. I don't know who tweeted it this morning, but someone had a take that uh, that it was it was good that there are no fans at the game last night because that <laughs> baseball would have been just a threat to to the safety of the people sitting in left field. Let alone, you know, let alone Yasmani Grandal hitting the back row of the bleachers and Jose Abreu hitting the scoreboard in left field. Um, you know, and obviously it could turn around tonight. I think the uh, Cole Wright on marquee mentioned that on the post-game show that, you know, if to, if tomorrow rolls around and the Cubs win tonight 10-1, to 1, no one's going to be shocked at that result either. That's just the reality of these teams right. right now, which is crazy fun. They're two good teams that are fun to watch. Right, and that is something that, you know, in all of this craziness of 2020, no, we can't be there in person unless you are both slightly insane and willing to spend some money to sit on a Wrigley rooftop right now, but I, I digress on that. You know, yeah, I'm not covering anything this weekend, but... Uh... Uh, I should be, uh, I will be at uh, Sox Park next weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely, you know, and whatever happens of this 2020, yeah, a pre, you know, whether the Cubs window is open for a couple more years or not, the Sox clearly just getting started, and as you said, let's hope that maybe over the next, you know, over the next 12 months, Chicago soccer fans can get that same feeling from the fire that Chicago baseball fans have been treated to by the Cubs and Sox, respectively, in recent years so again fire home opener tuesday night brian sandalo will be there covering the game for the chicago sun times check out his coverage of the team and all things chicago fire and chicago sports beyond brian thanks so much for taking the time to come on soccer cast thanks for having me and uh, continued uh, best of luck on the uh, podcast thank you sir